Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the team at Project Health Monitoring. PHM provides digital solution for industry, sport, and education, allowing you to focus on well-being, performance, and academic engagement in real time. But more on that a little later in the episode. And welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hello, everyone. I can't believe that Easter is nearly here. I hope that you have some fabulous downtime planned over the long weekend. If not, it's never too late to think about what you need to fill your energy bucket back up. Also, this is your very last chance to book into the DISC Personality Workshop. The link is in the show notes or you can scroll through our Facebook community, Challenges That Change Us, and find the details. This week, we have Jo Bird back on for the second half of her story. If you missed last week, press stop now and go back and start at the beginning. Over the past few years, endometriosis awareness has increased significantly And with it, the understanding of how debilitating it can be and how it can affect a woman's fertility. Now, imagine going through that fertility journey while also having to lose 60 kilos and doing so without a partner. That's just the tip of the iceberg for Jo on her journey. In the last episode, Jo shared just how long it took to get the endometriosis diagnosed, the shocking number of surgeries that she had, what motivated her to lose 60 kilos and how she did it, her IVF journey and what it looked like doing it as a single woman, what it was like finding out that she would be having twins and her pregnancy journey as a single woman. This week's episode has a slightly different feel. It's almost like Joe and I just sat down with a cuppa and had a chat. We talk about the early days with the twins in hospital when they were in the NICU We talk about life as a single mum with twins, what are the challenges, what are the hardest parts for Jo, and what she wished she knew earlier. I hope you settle in and enjoy this episode. Welcome back, Jo, our first guest to come on Challenges That Change Us for a second time. Thanks. A cliffhanger. Yeah. I've had a few messages this week actually from people being like, can't wait for episode two. So, yeah, it's really really great to have you back on and thank you for freeing up the time so quickly. No worries. Thank you. And, Joe, normally we ask what animal best describes you, but we've already done that. Let's maybe talk about the two boys. You've got two sons, twin boys. What animal would you use to describe them? Well, this was a bit... 
tricky, but Callum came to mind quite quickly. I would say he's like a loyal dog, a puppy who just likes to be around me. He might disappear off and go play, but he always comes back and makes sure I'm still around and things like that. He's a bit of a pleaser, so to encourage him, I actually say to him, oh, it'd make mummy really happy if you did this, and then he's my little helper. (laughs) Declan, on the other hand, is my cheeky one, so he's definitely a cheeky monkey because he has a really interesting sense of humour. So he does things like hold my leg and say, I'm stuck in the mud and you can't get go- let go. And, you know, he just, you know, cracks jokes and he often sort of looks at people weirdly and then he'll say something and you sort of think, oh, you really are cheeky and you have a good sense of humour. He also at the moment likes putting his arms around my neck from behind and hanging on my back, which, you know, can really hurt and stop me breathing <laughs> and things. But he does sort of hang on, yeah, like a like a monkey. It's funny, you know, when you think about twins and – because are your boys identical twins? No, they're fraternal. Oh, yep. because it's really interesting when you see how different they are. And I think, you know, obviously studying my undergrad in psych, I was really fascinated in, you know, what we're born with and then what environment and how it influences us as we start to grow up and I think twin studies are, are great for that. Oh, absolutely. And and my boys are very different, but then other times you just sort of look at them and think, oh, wow, they're so similar. And childcare often says, you know, especially when they were younger babies, that if they changed one of them's nappy, they'd need to go and change the other one because they'd both be dirty at the same time. And they just knew, oh, we better change, you know. And occasionally it wouldn't happen, but, you know, nine times out of ten, they'd, yeah. And so toilet training is interesting because often one goes off to the toilet and the other one says, oh, I need to go to the toilet. So we've now had to have two setups (laughs) and things. So it's a bit of a challenge. How old are the twins at the moment? They'll be three at the start of June. So they're, yeah, two and, yeah, three quarters. So, yeah, very entertaining. And we finished the last episode just getting to the birth of the boys, you know, we ha- we thought we were going to get through all of it, right? <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. And then you said, oh, we're close to an hour. And I went, Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe the best place to start, Joe, is let's just kind of rehash a tiny bit of the pregnancy, just because there will be some listeners out there that haven't listened to that episode. And I'd highly recommend everyone go back and listen because it was really interesting. I personally gained so much from hearing you talk, Joe, and hearing your story and and I guess understanding what people may go through. But I think for today, if we rehash a little bit of the pregnancy and then kind of talk about when you started to go down to Newcastle and what that looked like for you. Yeah, so I did do IVF with what we call double donor embryos, which means that it's both an egg donor and a sperm donor. And my fertility specialist had said we'll transfer two. And so I both took and stayed as one. They didn't split. So I knew that I was having twins right from, you know, pretty much day day one. Um, and then at 30 weeks, Declan stopped growing. And so I was going down to Newcastle each week and then was told that I would deliver them at 36 weeks. I went down on the Wednesday and had steroid injections because they were worried their lungs wouldn't be quite formed. So I had to have three days or two days of injections. And then, yeah, I was booked in for a cesarean on the Friday. I was told that if I did a natural delivery or a vaginal delivery, um, Declan wouldn't survive two deliveries and Callum was head down ready to go. So I was told that. So it was a caesarean. I was supposed to be 11 o'clock in the morning and it kept getting bumped by emergencies. And then I finally got taken in at a bit after two. Um, so they were born at three o'clock and then 
3.01. It was actually less than a minute apart, but legally they have to be a minute apart, or that's what I was told. So they're 3 o'clock and 3.01. Callum came out, out first and he actually needed oxygen support. So he was only just breathing um, when he came out and had oxygen support in theatre, um, but they did get him breathing by himself. And then Declan came out. He was breech, even though during the scan the day before he was head down as well. He was my move around the whole time. So he was actually breech. So he, um, yeah, he came out feet first and things. And he was under the 2.2 kilos that if they're under 2.2, they have to go to the NICU and get checked out and make sure everything's okay. So he was 20 grams under that. So he ended up going to the NICU as well. They basically, I knew that they were born. They normally have a, a screen sort of beside you. And they said to me, the screen wasn't working. And I was told later that that was because Callum needed the oxygen support. So they didn't want me seeing what they were doing with the babies. They also knew that I'd had done a maternity placement through my training and had been in quite a few cesareans and, you know, natural deliveries. So I knew a bit more than, you know, most people going in. So they didn't want me seeing any of that. My mum was my support person. So she was allowed in, in theatre and I've got this lovely photo of the two of us and she's just got this smile from ear to ear on her face. I actually asked her to cut the cords. So she's got that. I also had a trainee nurse that came and saw me when I was waiting for my operation and said to me, you know, I'm just wondering, I'm a trainee nurse, could I actually come into your caesarean? And and I said, absolutely. I said, I did that when I was training and I'd love that. So her name was Laura and she came in and she said to me while we were waiting just to go in, do you want me to take your phone and I can take photos as well? So we've actually got photos from the theatre that mum took, but also the ones Laura took. And so we've got photos of mum cutting the cords, which oh. mum's just, you know, amazing. And, you know, they're the first grandchildren that mum's cut the cords for and been in the delivery of. So that made it extra special for her. So when they got them settled and cut the cords and everything, they brought them over really quickly, sort of whipped them past me and said, they've got to go to the, the NICU and get checked out and things. So that's what happened. Um, we were told beforehand that mum could go with the babies because she was my support person. They were born June of 2020. So there was lots of COVID rules around it. And with twins, they're allowed the two parents in and in the NICU, they were really strict on it was only parents, like no one else, no grandparents were allowed to visit, all that sort of thing. It wasn't two at a time. It was just the two parents. Because mum was my support person, um, we were told that she was allowed to go in. So she followed the babies in the humidity cribs off to the um, the NICU and they got checked out and things. And then once they'd sort of settled in there, I was moved to first off recovery. And then after recovery, I got wheeled back to my room. So they wheeled me through the NICU and I got to see the babies. So they were both had the CPAP machines on, which is pressured. Well, they were on air. They weren't actually on um, pure oxygen. So they were on air and it basically keeps their lungs open and working. So they were on that. Um, Callum was still they were still monitoring him quite a lot, whereas Declan was just on the um, the CPAP. So I was able to hold Declan with all his wires and his CPAP and things. So that was just amazing. But it was, you know, a good couple of hours after they were born and that was my first cuddle of Declan. Callum, I wasn't allowed to, but I was I could reach over from my hospital bed and um, touch his hand and, and things like that. But I didn't, yeah, get to cuddle him 
straight away, which is hard. And I was lucky that I was allowed to to do that. I then got taken back to my room to settle in and and things. Um, when we got back to the room, there were these two teddies and two boxes of chocolates and a message from Laura saying, you know, thank you for letting me into your your delivery, which was absolutely beautiful. And the boys even now know when they look at the photos and there's a photo with Laura in it and, you know, I say, and she gave you these teddies and, and things like that. So they make that connection that Laura was the nurse in there and, and things. So that was nice. So I had to recover from the cesarean and things like that. And then I think it was about midnight, mum wheeled me upstairs to the NICU. I did freak the nurses out one day because I picked up one of them and took them across to the other side, but I didn't take their their cot. And the nurse walked in and saw that there was an empty cot and did this mad panic. And I'm sitting there, you know, cuddling my two two babies doing kanga cuddles. And she freaked out and she was just like, we've lost a baby. And I'm like, no, my twins are here. I've got my twins. And she's like, oh, she said, if you take one of the babies, you need to take the cot. And, And I just, it was one of those things where they've been in my tummy for eight months together and they they used to move around together and things like that and here they are separated and on opposite sides of the room so I would quite regularly wheel them across to the other side so I've got lots of photos where I had them the cots set um, next to each other I did ask if they had double cots but they didn't because it was the NICU and you know SIDS risks and things like that so you know that was a bit of a yeah, bit of annoying one. I've always wanted to ask, and when you said that about taking one baby out, I wasn't sure whether you were going to say they thought they'd lost a baby or they're worried that you're going to mix the babies up. And so I've always wondered with twins and triplets, how easy it is with newborns to tell which is which. With mine, it was actually easy. They did did look different. Callum had more hair and Callum had really, and he still does, has really long eyelashes. And when he was born, his fingers, like he held his hands up and his fingers were really long. So it was, you know, really obvious, but like for a couple of days, they were, you know, had um, hats on and things like that. So you couldn't see the hair. They do get, as soon as they're born, you know, labelled and things yeah. like that. And they were really conscious that they had to have a wrist one and a foot one. So if any fell off, I had to let them know and things like that. But even now there's some photos that I look at them and think, oh, and it's just one of them and I think, oh, is it Callum or is it Declan? But most of the time you can you, you can tell. People did warn me that if they did look alike that the easiest way was to paint their toenails or fingernails with nail polish just to to know the difference and, and things because you wouldn't want to do that. Mix them up. Well, when I look Mix back at up. my girls' photos, I can't tell them apart. My girls look so different, right? But even when I go back and look at photos, I'm like, mm, the kids are like, is that me, mum? I'm like, yeah, but I have no idea. I'm like, ah, uh, because they all like wore hand-me-downs and the same clothes, but, you know, can't tell. <laughs> yep. Yep. My mum did a photo book of the first 12 months and she put a photo in and it was, and she wrote underneath it, grand changing Declan's nappy, but in actual fact, it's Callum's nappy. And I said to her, no, you know, you got it round the wrong way. And she's like, really? Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, because when we went at midnight, Declan didn't have the CPAP on, whereas Callum had it right through yes. to the next morning. And I'm like, that's how we know the difference. She's like, oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So what were those early days like? The, I suppose the first... That first Friday that I had them, like I was just on a high. I just, yeah, it was amazing. But it was really hard because I did have to go back to the room and 
they told me in, well, they started off in the NICU, but it was ended up, they were in the special care nursery, which is a step down from NICU, which means that the nurses look after more babies. So the ratio nurse to babies is, is um, higher. And then they moved down to there and I was told that the next morning they'd come to the room with me so I'd be able to take them. And then the next morning I got in there and they're like, oh, no, they're still you know, being tube fed and, and things. And they'd say, oh, it'd be another 24 hours. And, you know, I was just sort of told that. And I was, it was frustrating because I just wanted them with me like all the time. And like, even though I was recovering from a Caesar, I didn't really like the pain meds that I was on, the endone, because that makes me nauseous. And so then they were giving me stuff for nausea. And I was only, I think it was probably day three that I stopped taking that during the day. And I just, when I got back to the room at the end of the day, I would take something to go to sleep and things. They sent you out of the NICU at lunchtime, just after lunch, after you'd done your afternoon, sort of early lunchtime sort of feed, to go back to your room and have a rest. And I'd go back to my room and I'd just sort of lie on my bed and, you know, all I'd want to do was wait for those, you know, two hours and then I'd head back to the the NICU. So I spent a lot of time in there with them or as much time as I could. But they were really conscious that I wasn't resting enough as I should. But all I was doing was sitting there, Mm. you know, sometimes watching them. I'd change their nappies and and then they worked out my iron levels had dropped because I had a a just over a litre blood loss during the surgery and they were worried because my iron levels weren't going back up quick enough. So then I was on iron tablets and they were umming and ahhing whether to give me an iron transfusion and I had another issue with my heart my blood pressure it dropped a couple of times and then it went the next time they did it it was quite high and they couldn't work out what that was so yeah so it was a bit a bit tricky I also had quite a few challenges around breastfeeding two babies to start with <laughs> two, two babies to start, to start with yes. <laughs> logistically yep, two babies to, to get start. everything else <laughs> yeah so I I worked with a lactation consultant in the NICU because that's where the babies were. So, of course, I had to go. But I was also expressing a lot on top of that just to try and get my milk to come in a lot quicker. It didn't really come in and I was told that there was lots of reasons. I did have a not very nice older lactation consultant come in and see me on the ward and she basically just – I was about to head out. I'd just come out of the toilet and mum was talking to her and then she explained to who she was. And she said, well, I'm here and I'm not sure I can actually help you because of your age, because you've had a Caesar, because you've got twins. You're probably better off just putting them straight on formula. And I was like, and you're a lactation consultant? Hello. And I said, excuse me. And I said, there are other ways that I can, what I can do to actually get my milk to come in. Or try, like. Absolutely. And this was only sort of day three, day four. And I was just like, what? And, and I said, well, I'm sorry, I can't chat to you now. And she's like, well, why? And I said, because my babies are in the special care nursery. I'm going. And she, she was just like, no, I need to give you these pamphlets. And, you know, and I was just like, yep, leave them on the desk. Yeah. And I walked out and mum's like running after me and things. And I was just like, I'm not dealing with her. And so when I got back the next time, one of my favourite midwives who was just absolutely lovely came in and I said, right, I don't want to speak to that lactation consultant. Can you just not? you know, this is what she said. She's like, what? And she's a lactation. I'm like, yep, that's what she's like. Mum's like, yeah, that's what she was like. Um, And I just was like, no, that's horrible. So yeah, breastfeeding didn't come 
as easy as I thought. So I was ended up, I was put on, I can't even remember the name of the drug, but the drug that gets you breastfeeding and your milk to come in and, and to increase your supply. So that um, did help. But of course, two babies, you know, you really need good supply. So they were topped up with bottles. And one of the reasons we stayed in the special care nursery for so long was because the boys were small and um, tired and struggled to, to feed for long enough. So they weren't getting enough. So yeah, so that was a, a bit of a struggle. The other reason we stayed there so long was, I think it was day two, one or two, that um, they rang Armadale and said, you know, we've got this person, she's had twins, they need special care. And Armadale didn't have any beds. And so every day they'd say, oh, look, we'll ship you off to Armadale, you'll be, you know, flown. And I'd seen one of the other patients be flown somewhere where they pack the the baby into this special little isolate and everything and get them flown to wherever they were going. And so every day I'd be thinking, oh, cool, we're going back to Armadale. And then they'd say, no, Armadale doesn't have any beds. Armadale doesn't have any beds. And and I was just like, really? And then one one day I spoke to one of the NICU nurses and she said to me, oh, the reason is Armadale are reluctant because they only have, technically have one special care bed. So they've got to make allowances to have you and they've got to have the staff to be able to, to do that because it's two babies. They would need a special care midwife to actually be just, you know, just your two babies in the special care nursery. And I was just like, oh, Armadale, come on, you know, get <laughs> Good your stuff country together. Town. <laughs> I know, I know it was frustrating. And, and the nurses were just like, we have so many cases from Armadale. Armadale needs you know, more support. But at the moment we just need doctors, but that's a whole nother Isn't job. it? Isn't it? But yeah. I was thinking then as you said that, for you, I can imagine they were also saying you'll be going home, you'll be going home, you'll be going home. If the message had been really early on, look, you're probably not going to get home for a week or two weeks or three weeks, however long, because we don't have the resources back there. It could have looked a bit different from the start, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, it could have. And I think I would have been I may have relaxed a little bit being in Armadale as opposed to Newcastle. I did have one friend come and visit me while I was in hospital. She couldn't come and see the babies. I showed her photos, but I could meet her in the the cafe of the hospital. So we had sat and had a coffee and a chat and and that was really nice. And other than, you know, my my parents were there, so I got to see, you know, my parents. My dad stayed the whole day the day I had the Caesar, but and he thought he was well, we got told that he'd be allowed to see the babies, but because they went to NICU, he wasn't. So he hung around all day and, and things, which, you know, was hard, but he did get to see me and the photos and things, you know, firsthand, which was nice. Um, so then, yeah, my friend Hamery was the only one that actually saw me in those first 15 days other than, you know, my parents. So that was, yeah, that was a bit a bit tricky. That was, yeah, not what I expected. You sort of, you know, go through life expecting that when you have a baby, you have all these people come visit you in hospital and, you know, they see the babies and you introduce them and all that sort of thing. That that just didn't happen because, you know, it was just mum and I down there and I didn't have the babies to, you know, show people and things like that. You weren't supposed to use your phone in the special care nursery in terms of, you know, FaceTiming and things. They said you can, but just make it short and sweet because there are, you know, there were other babies. I think there was in there was about eight in the ward, I think, eight or ten in the ward um, we were in. So there was other parents and, and some were more serious than my guys. Some had been there for months and some would come in, spend less than 24 hours and be gone, which, you know, was, was frustrating because all I wanted to do was take my mm. babies home. Yeah, so it was a bit 
yeah, struggle. As I'm listening to you, because obviously having three children, I remember <laughs> this huge protection piece. I didn't, I didn't have to go to Newcastle and my babies didn't have to go into NICU or special care. But I just remember thinking, no, the nurses are not going to take them. Like I was so protective and I wanted my babies near <laughs> me. So when I'm listening to you, I'm getting those flashbacks and thinking how hard that would be if you're wanting your babies close and you actually physically can't be. Yeah, it'd be very challenging. It was. And normally you spend a maximum, well, you're supposed to only spend, you know, three to five days in hospital after a Caesar. Because I had the issue with the iron and then my blood pressure, they pushed that out to seven days. And they kept saying to me, look, you know, if we need the beds, we're going to have to ship you off to the hotel. Because Armadale can't take you. Because <laughs> Armadale still can't take you. And yeah, ship me off to a hotel. And I was just like, no, I'm not leaving my babies. Um, and then it got to the Friday and they were like, yeah, it's the Oh, ship you we off. Like as in you're off, not going to be me. at the hospital and your baby's going to be at your hospital. <laughs> oh, my God. I would have chained myself to the door. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had seen a mum sleeping on the like spending most of, like she was always in the the special care nursery, always in there, and she would sleep on the chair, and they gave her a pillow and a blanket and and things, and she'd go off for you know have a feed and then come back, and I remember thinking, oh man, like that's dedication. At least I'm lying down flat on a bed, um, and then I spoke to her one day. We were both washing our hands before we headed in, and she said, oh, I've been moved to the hotel, and she said, so I just stay here. She said, I'm paying for a hotel, but they're letting me stay. And I was just like, oh, could I do that? And mum's like, no, no, you're not doing that. You need your rest. Like you're not going to produce milk if you don't rest. So then, yeah, it got to the Friday and they said I could stay the weekend. I was like, woohoo. And then they were like, but you're leaving Monday. And I was like, oh, crap. So I spent from the – so Monday when we left, and I don't think we left the hospital until like 11 o'clock, and we got in the taxi and and I just sat there and just – burst into tears and mum's like what's wrong I said yeah. I'm my babies like yeah. it was heartbreaking and you know like I woke up early the next morning well I'm the fact that I was waking up every three hours and expressing and then you know I woke up early and I was up showered ready to go waiting for mum to wake up and shower and I'm like let's go back let's go back let's go back sort of thing and then I'd spend the whole day there and because I was at the hotel I'd just stay in the room and did you have to pay for your own hotel did I hear you say that earlier You've got a reduced rate and you also can apply. Because we're regional, you can apply to get some of the money back. Um, they reimburse you because we don't have the services in Armadale and that's a government thing. But it did cost me out of pocket to be shipped off to the hotel. wonder how people do it that don't have the finances or the resources to pay for it. I really don't know. And that's yeah. just horrible. And, you know, research shows that those first weeks, when you build attachment and I was so conscious of that and so I was spending as much time as I could doing kanga cuddles which is the skin to skin and we have many photos where I would get both babies and they were tiny like they were you know tiny and I'd have the blanket and the three of us would be sound asleep you know they we'd just be you know because it was so like I just found every time like a wave would come over me and I'd relax and I would just sleep and I'd go straight into a deep sleep the comfort of being there and holding my babies because I've had eight months of them being with me in my tummy and to not have them close by was, yeah, that was really hard. Mm. So when you think back to those 15 days, what was the hardest part for you? I think leaving them each time. You know, like in a way I knew that they were in good hands in the NICU but they weren't my hands. Mm. 
So as much as I trusted that they were in, they would be looked after, you know, another sort of that anxious of what if something happens, like, you know, what if one of them stops breathing? And because there were times in there that, you know, some one of the other babies would stop breathing or their alarms would go off and I'd be just like, oh, my God, like, oh, don't, you know, and things like that. So that, yeah, was hard. It's such an added complexity to an already complex situation, oh. becoming a new mum, becoming a new mum of twins, being away from your home and your support people and your family, being in a hotel, having your kids, like every layer of that just adds complexity. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And just, mm. yeah, it's just hard. And, you know, I was chatting to mums that would have, you know, a toddler or, you know, two or three kids at home and then they've had, mm. you know, a baby early that's, required special care and and things like that like it was just you know like my story I kept thinking my story's not that bad compared to some of the babies that were in there and the length of time that some of the babies had spent and some people you know lived an hour away from Newcastle would drive or staying at home and then would drive and then they had other children that had to get care for and oh Mm. it was horrible challenges (laughs) challenges and Joe, what was it like coming home well, we were told, I think it was the the Thursday, because every morning the doctors would all come around and they'd do a, a check and see how the babies were going and what was happening and they were the ones that would eventually discharge them. And on the Thursday I was there and they said, everything's going well, they're actually feeding, we're still doing top-ups and that's good. And they said if they both put on weight, we would go home on the Friday. So I was all excited and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember had, I had this Irish nurse looking after them that day and, and she kept saying, oh, you're going home, you're going home in her Irish accent and everything. That was great. And then on the Friday, um, I was there for weigh-in and Declan didn't put on weight. Um, had actually lost like this 20 grams or something, which, you know, isn't much. And when the doctors came around, they just went, no, we'll, they need to both put on weight before we'll, you know, release them sort of thing. And I was just like, oh, no. And the Irish nurse came back that night. She's like, what What are you still doing here? And I was like, oh, Declan didn't put on weight. Like we're here for at least another 24 hours. And she's like, right, babies, fat thoughts. We're thinking fat thoughts. And she just kept saying it. She had this beautiful accent and I just crack up laughing every time. And it was, it was so nice because the place is tension. Like as soon as you walk in, you feel that anxiety, that stress, that tension in the room even though all the nurses well most of the nurses were nice and calm and and things were wonderful it really was just not it wasn't the best like it was the best place for the babies for what they needed but at the same time it wasn't the best place you know in terms of the stress for the babies and things um but she was lovely and she just kept saying it and the next morning she's like right I've waited for you we're gonna do weigh in and I said can we feed them and then weigh in she's like no you're not allowed to do that (laughs) and I was like don't pee boys don't pee (laughs) and things like that we were you know joking around and and then you know she weighed them and then both of them had put on weight and you know if I could have I would have been jumping for joy and I remember We'd messaged my dad and he'd come down because he had to drive us home and and I remember just getting all excited and packing up and, you know, and this Irish nurse was just absolutely beautiful and one of the other nurses went out and she said, oh, you know, I just found these um, this bag of nappies, you know, under under one of the cots and I was just like, I've just... I stole them from the girl next to you but don't tell <laughs> well, her. <laughs> she actually said and she, she brought it over and I said, but you didn't... 
and I didn't click at the start. And I'm like, but you didn't come from the cot. You came from the storeroom. And she was just like, yeah, and she's ripping it open going, yeah, it's open. Well, we can't keep open bags. We can't give that to another family. Like, And I was like, oh, thank you. And and then they gave me, you know, all these sachets of formula and, you know, they were just handing me stuff and I'm just you know, standing there with this bag shoving all this stuff in. They're going, you'll need it. You've got two. You'll need it. Take this, take that and, and things. And there's like lovely packs and things like that that they give you in there as well and the boys got these strings with all different um, beads on it and they get different beads for different things and and that so they've both got these chains of beads and and things which they love but they're packed up in their special boxes and and things so it was good we eventually got home but you know and I was I was excited but at the same time every time I think about I've now got two babies and I'm taking them home and I don't have a nurse to go hey what's this happening or you know I can't get them to settle or whatever it was you know, I've lost that. I did have my parents, which was an amazing help because, as I said, they were born in June 2020. So my parents stayed and they were planning to stay for the first six weeks. And then once I got my, you know, once I was allowed to drive and things after the Caesar, they would go home. It got to the end of the six weeks, I was allowed to drive and Melbourne was in lockdown. So they weren't going anywhere because Armidale wasn't in lockdown. You know, we had to wear masks and things, but other than that, we went in lockdown so they were like well why are we going home they were also quite attached to the babies and and they were just so tiny and just yeah like they were just very small but yeah it was lovely and it was then that I could start you know inviting people over to meet them I was told when I left the special care nursery to make sure that if I did let people hold them that they had to you know sanitize their hands and things like that and you know, I did it with most people and most people I said, well, they're too small to actually have cuddles. And that was one of the bits of advice one of the midwives said to me, you know, just be really strict and say they're too small. And so people would come and see them and, you know, and not get to cuddle. And and I know if that was me going to visit someone's new baby, all I'd want to do was, you know, give them a cuddle. So that was hard. Like I, yeah, it was hard to say and do, but I needed to protect my boys. This is a shout out to all the teachers, parents and principals that may be listening. We all know I'm a big advocate for improving your mental health, but how can you know when to act? PHM, otherwise known as Project Health Monitoring, provides a versatile, safe and secure digital platform that allows students a means to communicate current and emerging issues in real time. The platform provides educators with data to take targeted and timely action so that their students feel known, valued and cared for. PHM takes away the days of second guessing. With children increasingly connected via technology, the PHM approach allows students to initiate a conversation without having to raise their hands. Students need to feel connected and empowered by being directly engaged socially and emotionally. For a free project health check on your school, please click in the link provided in our show notes. This will enhance your students' well-being, performance and their academic outcomes. Now, back to the show. And Joe, I can imagine that life with two can have its challenging moments. Life with one can have its <laughs> challenging moments. What were some of the challenges you faced? Okay, so early on the challenges were when I went to mother's group, if I turned up, with two babies, 
the rest of my group were a bit more reluctant to share their frustrations or challenges because I had two. And to them, I appeared like I had it all together and that I knew what I was doing and I was handling two. And I was like, no, I'm I'm so not. Like my parents are at home. Yes, I've managed to put them in the car, drive here and get them out. But that's sort of about it. And, um, you know, there were times there was one group where I was trying to eat lunch and both boys were getting upset and I just sort of put my lunch back in the bag and moved along, which I'd gotten used to in the first, you know, sort of two months. Um, And then someone else said, oh, do you want me to pick this one up? And I said, oh, that'd be awesome. She's like, eat your lunch, eat your lunch sort of thing. And that was was lovely. And I think too, they wanted to know, because I was a solo mum, what that was all about and how the boys came about and things like that and had I used a, a sperm donor and, you know, how does it all work? And I remember this one group that we sat there and I probably spoke for half an hour with them just firing off questions and and I just said to them all I'm happy to answer any questions because I want it to be this honest thing and I want my boys to know and they they did know I was telling them when they were you know tiny I was telling them when they were in there in my tummy that you know, they were donor babies. And so that was one of the challenges. And I have made some you know, really good friends out of that mother's group. It almost sounds like you couldn't just go and be, you know, because people were afraid to say what was hard for them, or you couldn't just be like, you know what, today's a good day because you like, it almost didn't allow you just to be in the moment. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I've made some really good friends out of that mother's group, which is, which is great. And there's, couple of them that all go to the same childcare centre so the boys are sort of interacting with them. As they sort of grew, I think it was my family all came up the Christmas the year they were born and so they got to my sister, my nephew, my um, brother and sister-in-law and their kids all got to meet them which was nice but the boys were six months old before my family you know, got to meet them. And then in the January, mum and dad headed back to Melbourne. So they'd been with me for six, seven months. The boys were here, which was a great help. So when mum and dad left, there was a bit of like, oh crap, now we have to do this, you know, how we were expecting to do it as a solo mum. And I remember there were days where I'd just sit there going, oh my God, what have I done? Like, this is really hard. Both boys were crying. And so I worked really hard to get them used to my voice and I could calm them sometimes by saying it's okay I'm just doing this I'll be there in a minute and things like that so you know I spoke to them a lot which isn't hard for me because I can easily talk as you probably realized and then they started crawling Two when they're crawling that's a challenge um so I bought a playpen and we put that up in the lounge room and that was called the cage and that's where they stayed um because I couldn't even go to the toilet because One would be that way and one would be this way. Absolutely. And that's continued on. I used to take them to the park and, you know, I found it really, really hard if one was struggling or one wanted to be pushed on the swing and then, you know, one would sort of toddle off to something else. And a lot of parks aren't totally fenced, which, you know. Not here. Not here. I don't think we have any parks that are completely fenced. Yes, we do. Down in the netball courts, we do have a fully fenced park. And it's not a bad park. So we hung out there quite a lot because, you know, I could slightly relax um, and things being, knowing that they were fully fenced. So yes, there were times in the park where they just, you know, I couldn't get to one who was trying to climb and was struggling and things. So that was a real challenge. I also had trouble accepting offers of help from people when they said, I'll come and look after the babies if you need to do this or that, because I knew how hard twins were. And for someone who's they're not their twins, have never experienced twins, you know, to deal with two, 
you know, I just thought that's really hard. I can't expect anyone else to do that. So for quite a while, there was only one or two people that I would leave them for short periods of time, usually in my home within the cage. So that made it really quite tricky. And then, you know, people would say to me, well, what do you do? Like, how do you move two babies, you know, from here to there? You know, how do you get two babies from the house to the the car? And I'd say, well, I actually have to carry one out. When they were in capsules, I was actually quite strong and could carry two capsules at the same time. And I would carry them out. But, you know, I'd have to leave one on the ground to put one capsule in. Once they were sort of crawling, I couldn't leave one on the ground to put the other one in because they just crawl away and my house wasn't fully fenced and it wasn't a, you know, contained garage or anything like my car didn't fit in the garage. So I'd have to leave one inside, race out, put one in the car, leave that one in the car to come back to get the second one and every time I'd do it, I'd get this sort of shock of, you know, this (laughs) guilt or anxiety around the fact that, you know, they were out of my sight, out of my hearing sort of thing and I just had to do it. And I always had this thought in the back of my mind that I'd put one in the car and then I'd come back with the other one and that one would be gone because someone would have seen me do it and take them. But, you know, I remember my counsellor saying to me, you've just got to let that go. You've just got to try not to think that. But I did every time um, and things like that. And thinking that, you know, two things there. One is that they might judge like, look at this mum leaving her baby in the car or take the baby. You know, like... Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, horrible. Since they've become toddlers and don't like sitting in either the pram or a trolley at the supermarket going shopping, sometimes we can do shopping and they'll hang with me and stand on the side of the trolley and they're fine. Other times when they're in one of their moods, they might run in opposite directions. And people say to me, my God, what do you do? And I said, well, I do it as quick as I can you know, risk assessment, who's heading for a door, who's heading for a road, who's in the most danger. So there's one time at Coles where they went in opposite directions. Declan was heading out towards the door. Callum ran into Coles and I was just like, I just have to trust that no one's going to take him or do something, you know, anything else with him and I'll just go and grab Declan. So I did, ran to the door, grabbed Declan, went back in and this woman had sort of, you know, barricaded him into where the flowers are, which was like this little square. And she's like, he's over here, he's over here, he's here. And he was just sniffing flowers. And she said, I saw what happened and, oh, I I didn't know how you were going to do that. And I said, well, I was just going to walk around the shop and try and find him. But she'd sort of barricaded him. I'm pretty known by most staff in, you know, Cold. <laughs> I'm the mum that has the kids that run both directions and you see me yep. go left, right, left, right, I'm off. <laughs> yep, yep. I often, um, you know, sort of promise them something as we're heading to the supermarket. I will give you this if you stay in the trolley. Yep, we all if you do stay that, in the Joe. trolley, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, and Callum pretty much thinks that all shops are, are Woolworths and you get a free piece of fruit. So he'll just walk over and grab whatever and then say, in the trolley so I can eat it sort of thing and and that's fine. And I just think, well, Cole's bad luck, ride it off. Um, it's keeping my sanity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure if someone actually said something to me, I'd probably burst into tears and just go, I can't do this anymore. So, yeah, but people and, – and I get all the time that I'm – you know, wow, you're amazing that you can do twins and you're doing so well and da da da. I couldn't handle twins. I've only got one and I can't handle that. And I just think, yep, I'm that duck because you just have no idea what's going on inside that my little legs under the water are just going ballistic and things, which is nice and lovely. But at the same time, I just, yeah. Also, Joe, as I'm, I'm, as I'm listening to you there, there is a downfall to being so calm and controlled is that people don't realize how hard it is. Like they're like, you've got your shit together. 
you don't actually need our help. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. Yep. I have a couple of questions for you though. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. One is how did you have showers? <laughs> Early on, I if I was home, I would have a shower when I put them to bed. So as soon as they had their afternoon sleep and went to sleep and they were asleep, I would jump in the shower with the door on, with the monitor so I could see it from the shower. And I managed to have quick showers. As they've grown, I put them in front of the TV. So they get the TV while I'm in the in the shower. Not ideal and it's not what I, you know, wanted beforehand, but it's one of those things. Last year I was I had one day off a fortnight where the boys were in care, but I was home and had the day to myself. Oh, my God. Did you, like, shave your legs, wash your hair, <laughs> have a cup of tea? <laughs> Do the face mask, take my time. Ring a friend. Like. Ring a friend. Absolutely. I did all of those things and, you know, I was doing things like the shopping, you know, the big shop and, you know, all those things where it's hard to, you know, carry something to the car as well as, you know, wrangle to toddlers and, and things like that. So, yeah, showers and even now I leave the door open and sometimes I hear them crying and and I think, well, is that a serious one or is that just a, you know, and often it's because one's moved across to my side of the couch and they're losing it. But, yeah, and, it, yeah, sometimes I worry about it but at the same time I've got to let some things go. Yeah, absolutely have to and let a lot more things go than what other parents will need to with one baby or other parents with two parents. You know, not only have you got two babies, you've got two babies in one mum. Yep. That's it. Yep, I'm outnumbered. Yeah, yeah, two to <laughs> one. So how do you how did you manage those moments where they're both screaming? Often I spend a lot of time on the floor. You know, I spend time on the t- on the floor because I could pick up quite easily pick up two. I wasn't very good at picking them up and then standing up while I was holding both, especially when they were young because you don't want to flop their heads and things like that. People laugh at me because I can pick both of them up and hold both of them and they're like over 13 kilos now. So, you know, and I did it a couple of weeks ago. We were at a friend's place um, on the balcony watching the fireworks and my boys had seen fireworks from our house so they didn't hear the noise as much and then the noise when you're really close is loud. And so I picked both up and, you know, people were just like, oh, um, do you want me to take one? And I'm like, no, and no, that's fine. So we probably, you know, stood there for a little bit of time, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes with me holding both of them before Callum wanted to go to, uh, you know, have a cuddle with a friend and watch the fireworks. But, you know, people just go, oh, wow, sort of thing. That's not easy. And it's not, but, you know, it's what I've always had to do. So I just do it. Sometimes it must be hard for you to know what it looks like for other people, you know, because this is your experience. So, you know, it's your every day. I, I often think if, if COVID hadn't hit, if I was, say, five or ten years younger, would I have gone back for another try, another child to have one baby and experience one baby? Like I used to see people I knew, you know, at the shops where they'd be pushing their trolley, baby in a carrier, and everything's all fine. And I'd be just like, eh, okay, I can't do that. Or, you know, I had to have a friend come to swimming lessons with us because I wasn't allowed to take two babies in the pool. Same with mini minstrels. I wasn't allowed to take two babies and just be one parent. I am now to the family group, but originally it had to be one-on-one. That's hard when you – this is the stuff we don't think about, right? Like I just assumed if you've got twins – Whichever service it is, provide some of it. Of course they can't and won't, but I think I just assumed that that would happen because especially you don't have support people here. You don't have your family here. 
Yeah, so we now do mini minstrels at the family groupings. So it's me and the, the boys. There's another set of twins that come and that's with mum and dad. So And they're only babies, so you see them crawl around and I just think, oh, how did I do that? Like, <laughs> how did I manage, you know, two? And it's not just managed to today. It's managed to today, tonight, the next day, the next night, the next day, for months, for years. Like, it's that no release, no break. We talk about newborns as, you know, it's relentless, right? But I cannot imagine what it would be like with two. Yep. And people say to me, oh, you know, you look a bit tired. And I think, well, (laughs) yeah. And they say, oh, did the boys sleep through? And I'm like, well, last night, you know, Callum did, but Declan was up, you know, twice. Or, you know, Declan might get up once, but then Callum gets up once. That's two times through the night that I'm getting up. Or I had a lot on at work yesterday, got home, they both threw their dinner on the floor, then I had to try and do two showers, then I had to try and put two to bed. Yes, they slept, but do you know what? By the time I got to bed, I'd run a marathon. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes I, you know, sit with them to go to sleep and I lie down and then I'm asleep and wake up a couple of hours later when I get cold and go, oh, time for bed, but I still need to clean the kitchen or I still need to, you know, hang the washing up or fold the washing or do whatever. Yeah, so it's one of those you know, tricky things, but we just make it do when we try and get it to work. What don't people know about twins, do you reckon? I think it's some of those thinking things through what it's like to actually have two. Mm. Yeah, how do you do two? You know, what do you do if one needs the nappy change and then the second one needs the nappy change? Well, they have to wait. Yeah. That's just how it is. Um, and, you know, I would say to the boys, you know, you've got this brother and I'm working with this brother. And as soon as I've, you know, we've finished changing their nappy or doing whatever it was with them, cleaning them up or whatever, then I'll move to you. Does it depend on who's your favourite on the day? <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> so like, you've been well behaved. You're definitely going to get in first. <laughs> Callum often says, no, me first. And, and I say, but, you know, that you are the oldest and Declan is not so fussed, but there are times where Callum's, you know, having a moment and doesn't want to, you know, do things. And, and Callum has this thing that he has to give me the kiss and cuddle goodnight first and then I'm allowed to go to Declan. And if he's not ready for the kiss and cuddle right when I'm like, no, nah, this is the time, you miss out, I move to Declan, or oh, 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 hell breaks loose. And often people say, you just need to be tough with him or you just need to be this. Or people say to me in terms of their sleep, well, you know, I did this and this and this. And I'm like, okay, but how do I do that when the second one also needs that? And, you know, um, I've rung, you know, the support helplines and things like that. And you chat away to them and, and they say, oh, but, you know, maybe you need to separate them and put them in different rooms. And I'm like, but it's just me. How do I put two babies or toddlers that are the same age who should be going to bed at the same time to bed in separate rooms? Mm. How do I do that? Mm. Like, you tell me. And also, my boys, other than afternoon naps for a stage when they were around 12 months, they have always slept in the same room. They were together, you know, through my pregnancy and then they've always slept in the same room. Now that they can actually talk and say what they want and don't want, and I say to them, do you, you know, because I have a spare room, do you want me to put your cot in the other room? And they're like, no, no. And they often wake up because if one wakes up and early in the morning it ends up in my bed and then the second one wakes up, like, this morning, Callum woke up and he's just like, I can't find Decky. Decky's not in his bed. He's not under the bed. Where's Decky? Where's Decky? I said, oh, Decky's asleep snoring in my bed, you know, sort of thing. And, and Callum goes, oh, okay, he's okay. And they have that twin connection and they have, I suppose, that, you know, want to make sure the other one's safe. 
And childcare have made that comment to me many times where, you know, they know where the other one is in the yard. So if the other one hurts themselves, they're very quick straight over there and make sure they're out, their twin is, is okay. So I have a, a funny story from when they were only babies. They were probably only about eight months old and they were sitting in the high chairs side by side facing me and I was feeding them. And next thing they looked at each other and they babbled away to each other and then they both looked at me and then burst out laughing. And I'm sitting there going, oh, you're talking about me. And they were just <laughs> laughing and babbling away. And they knew exactly what each other was saying. I was going to ask if they had twin language because yeah. I've met a few twins in my time and some of them have and some of them haven't. Even just brothers and sisters have done it as well or, or sister, like little kids that are at different ages, they have this language that we can't understand as adults but they just talk. And they often, because Callum's my talker and his language is quite good and clear and, and things and he has a great vocabulary, Declan took a li- little bit longer and things like that and he's starting to get a bit clearer now but wasn't for a while. Callum was his interpreter. So I would say, Declan, say that again. I don't don't quite get it. And then Callum would just go, blah, it was this. Decky says this <laughs> sort of thing. Um, so I had a bit of a struggle in terms of making sure that Callum wasn't speaking for Decky and saying to Callum, just wait, let Declan answer. We need to encourage Declan to say it and, and things. It's so hard though, right? Because what a bond. You know, it's that pro and con of each. Like, yes, you want Declan to develop his vocab, but how gorgeous that Callum's got his brother in that moment. <laughs> So, Joey, you know that I'm, you know, I'm going to ask you what the hardest moment was because <laughs> I always ask this. Like when you think back through the last, you know, couple of years, can you think of the moment that was really hard? Probably admitting that maybe I haven't got it all together and that I need help. That, you know, it takes me, you know, an hour, an hour and a half to get them to sleep. Callum's not too bad in the, t- the fact that he's a, He's a bit more of a morning person, so he's more likely to go sleep straight away when they get put to bed. Declan can be up until 10 o'clock. It started when Callum was talking for him. As soon as Callum, because Callum talks until the moment he's asleep and he'd talk over Declan and for Declan and things. And so once Callum went to sleep, Declan would start talking. And so he started staying up a bit longer because, or awake a bit longer because he got some talking and some one-on-one time and things like that. And he'd always ask for different things and... You know, it was just, yeah, it was frustrating, but he was taking ages to go to sleep and still does sometimes take ages to go to sleep. And then because, you know, Callum would have been to sleep earlier, he'd wake up earlier and I would get to sleep, but I'd only get that middle portion when they're both asleep, not, you know, the whole time and things like that. So, you know, that has been a been a real challenge. So admitting that, you know, actually I need some help with, you know, getting them to sleep. Like sleep is probably the one thing that if I got more of, I would handle everything else better. But, you know, it is just me and it is twins. Other people can get them to sleep, no worries. Like I had a friend the other night, Monday night, put them into bed. Callum went straight to sleep. Declan was awake for only sort of 20 minutes post when she put them into bed and walked away. I can't walk away. They lose the plot. They can now reach the door handle so they come out and, you know, cry and scream and want me back in the room and people say to me, oh, you just need to be tough and things. And I think that I can only be tough and then I've got to go to work the next day. So, um, you know, I do lay down with them and hold their hands and, you know, wait for them to go to sleep. And I like that, but I know I've also got to then clean the kitchen and get to bed reasonable time myself. So so for you it was actually admitting to yourself or admitting to other people that you need help. I think that was the word that you used. (sighs) I suppose the first step was admitting to myself. Like, 
if I had have thought about it, I would have known for quite a while that I needed help. But to actually admit to other people that, yeah, I'm really struggling. This is starting to really make me struggle and get me down. And it was also affecting me at work because I'd sit here in my office at my desk and go, I'm just so tired. and Or I'd be teary because I hadn't had enough sleep and my eyes would sting and I'd get teary and someone had asked me something or confront me about something or whatever, I'd you know lose the plot. So I had to actually say, no, I'm not coping. I need need help. And I've got, you know, some really great friends that have, you know, stepped in and said, you know, I'm happy to help. And, and to actually say, yeah, yeah. That, and actually say to them, yeah, I need help. So we're back doing swimming lessons, which we hadn't done since my friend Amy moved to New Zealand because I didn't have someone, but I also hadn't put a big announcement out to all the people I know to say, hey, I need someone to help me with swimming. Anyone want to come and spend half an hour with myself and my toddlers and... <laughs> swimming. So how did you go from realising that you need help and getting help? I've got one particular friend, Sue, who was our, when we were in lockdown, single buddy person, bubble buddy. So we would exercise and she'd come and spend time with us, have dinner with us and help out with the boys. So the boys got to know her and they absolutely love her and, and things like that. So she comes around probably at least once a week and has dinner with us. And, you know, she said to me, you need help. Like, what do you want me to do? And and I said, it's. she said, I'll bring dinner over. And, and people are very good at offering. Not many people follow through as much or are persistent following through or, you know, asking. Or consistent with the follow through, you know, they might come. I mean, I would do that. I'd be like, oh, I'll cook for you, Joe. Like even now I'm like, oh, I could do this for you, but I might do one and then you won't hear from me for six months. Yeah, you know, and, and that's fine. And I get that other people are busy and I don't want to impose and, you know, I did have very early on someone say to me, oh, but that was your choice. You chose to have to transfer to and have twins and do it by yourself. And I remember thinking, yeah, but you've whinged about your kids and you chose to have kids too, so it works both ways. And also you're here without your family. Like I know when I remember ringing my mother-in-law, it was 3 a.m. in the morning, three kids were vomiting, I was vomiting, my husband was working call, so he was at the hospital, and I rang her and I'm like, I am so sorry, but I need you. Like I would never bring anyone into a vomiting household, but I was like exhausted. I couldn't stand up. My kids were vomiting everywhere. We'd run out of sheets. You know, even just that moment I had a family member to call, you don't have that as well. So that's sort of like people might be like, but you have twins, but it's like there's so many more components to being a parent and we all get exhausted and we all need time out. We all need help, whether you're a single parent or a double parent or whatever. Yep. And I think we had COVID last year twice. So Callum got sent home from childcare because he had the symptoms and I took Declan and all three of us got tested and lo and behold, Callum's clear, I'm clear, Declan had it even though he had no symptoms whatsoever. So we were, you know, stayed home for the week and that was fine. You know, by the end of the week, I wanted to murder him. I had friends that would just drop stuff off at the, the front door and I'd say, you know, don't come in. But, the, you know, and especially when Sue came to the door because the boys love her and I'm like, we can't because Declan's got COVID. And I was worried that, you know, Declan had passed it on to Callum and I and we were tested and we continued to test negative. So we ended up, you know, coming out within the week. And then the next time we got it, it was around the boy's second birthday. My parents and my sister had been up with us for the weekend of the boy's birthday. And then they, my sister went with my parents to Queensland to visit my brother. My sister tested positive the next day and I tested positive the day after that. 
my parents both tested negative and I thought I was okay the first day I tested positive. I was like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. By Friday night, I'd woken up early Saturday morning and thought I'd been hit by a Mack truck um, and just was really bad. We basically just watched TV and spent time on the couch. By Sunday, I, you know, I'd spoken to my parents and mum kept saying, look, you need us, like we need to come. And I'm like, no, I don't want you to get it because she's immunocompromised. And I'm like, no, don't come. She's like, if we didn't get it from Tracy, spending six hours in the car, unmasked, like we're not going to get it. They'd had their fourth booster and blah, blah. And I just kept saying, no, no. And But I was delirious. I was just thinking that. I was like, there was no way I could be a mum when I had it. Like if you, you know, I was like, how did you do it? Well, they didn't get a shower until mum and dad arrived on the Monday afternoon. Late afternoon, mum's like, yeah, they kind of stink. And I'm like, I'm changing nappies. Like, that's all I can do. And I just taught them how to do it, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) Yep. And we were sleeping on a mattress on the floor, all three of us on the one mattress, because I would just collapse with the boys. I was changing their nappies. A couple of times I sent them off to the pantry and they'd pull something out. That cat food is fine, boys. Just <laughs> just have it, but yep. put the stuff in the bin so no one can see that you've had it. <laughs> yeah. Callum wanted to drink chicken stock and, and I'm there just going, just put it back as chicken stock. I would have been like, you can have it. Yes, drink it all. <laughs> you know, I think I eventually opened it and he took one mouthful and just went, ooh, yuck. And I said, yep, just use the lid. And it just, you know, sat on the floor. So mum and dad walked into an absolute pigsty, but – I didn't have anyone else to call. Who was I going to bring into a COVID house where all three of us were positive? And I was seriously sick. So mum and dad spent the next few days with us. And I think when they arrived, I just collapsed. I let it all go. And I think that next day I just slept most of the day. The boys were fine. They didn't really, they had a bit of a snotty nose, but that was about it. And they'd managed to wipe their nose for the, you know, three days that we'd had it because I, you know, times didn't even have the energy to wipe their noses. So... But anyway, so we survived. And I want to take you back, Joe, because I asked you a question earlier and we kind of skipped over it and then I moved on. So I just want to drop you back into the question around how did you go from needing help and asking for help? Uh, Because there will be a lot of people out there that struggle with that same step. So it was my friend Sue that said, kept saying to me, you need help, you need help, what do you need? And she decided she'd bring a meal round and I said, I want the company. Don't just drop off a meal. I want the adult company. I want someone else here that can, you know, distract the boys while I go and, you know, fold the washing or I go and, I don't know, tidy up a bit or, you know, prepare some some meals of our own and things like that. So she's been really good coming around and doing that, which is great. I also contacted Tresillion and we now have a Tresillion within Armadale and I found them a great organisation. We went to sleep school when they were babies because it was just, you know, a nightmare. And then so I went back to them and said, look, you know, I need to get their sleep down to less than an hour. Like this is ridiculous getting them to sleep at night. It just stresses me and, and things. I walked away from that not actually having the help around the sleep because they just saw that I was this stressed out mum and so they were throwing all these supports for me and I just remember thinking just help me with the sleep. That's all I need. Help me with the sleep. But I've taken them up on the offers. There's an organisation helping children and families association and they've matched us with a volunteer so they'll come for two hours oh, wow. once a week and, and things like that. And just so when people say to me, hey, you know, I'm happy to come and hang out with the kids while you go and do some grocery shopping and me saying, yes, I need that. And then, you know, knowing in my own head that I may not want to actually accept that help, but I need to. Yeah. Like, and, and thinking, no, it's okay. They can spend time with the boys. 
and that's okay and that's good and just saying yes. And, you know, Sue has offered to come and put the boys to bed, you know, the night that she comes with a meal, she said, you know, if you want me to put the boys to bed, I'm happy to put the boys to bed because she can do it in 20 minutes, whereas I'm, you know, taking ages. If you just want to, you know, nick down the street and go to the shops or do something. So it's actually going, yeah, I need this or, you know, having a night, like Sunday night wasn't wonderful, but I knew Monday Sue was coming over and I had a meeting. So I was just like, yep, you can put them to bed. Like Mm. we had the dinner together and we chatted and I left she put them to bed. I walked in and the boys were asleep. It's really helpful, Joe, listening to that because, you know, I'm thinking and I'm sure everyone listening may be thinking the same thing. It's like, oh, who do I know in my world that needs that help and am I actually helping? Have I actually asked the question about what is most helpful to them? <laughs> Have they got the vocabulary around that yet? Or maybe maybe how I best help is say, why don't you have a think about what's going to be most helpful for you and let me know and I can round up everyone else around that. Like if you let me know, I'll organise everyone else or let's just focus over the month of April about getting you some support and some relief what would that look like for you yeah and it's that you know because people were saying oh if you need some help and then you'd go oh yeah that'd be great and you'd sort of walk away going well what are they actually going to do like how Mm. are they going to help and it sounds like there's a combination in there about you might know you need help but you still don't you want to be doing it with the kids like it's that it's yeah, it's a bit tricky. It's it's not just a straightforward. Can you mow my lawn or can you bring me over a meal? Because it's almost like you need to know in advance that this relief is coming up, so that you can either take a break, have a shower, do something down the street. It's almost that if I can just get to Wednesday afternoon, I'll have two or three hours where someone's there and there's a relief. Is that right? Yeah, and that makes it easier to then deal with the other things. You know, I definitely don't have the the cleanest house. I get a cleaner once a fortnight, so at least I know the house is totally clean for the two minutes between when, you know, she finishes and we arrive back home because guaranteed the boys will spill something, drop something, make a mess in some way within, you know, half an hour. So that's something that, you know, I do. And yes, it costs me money, but at the same time, I know that my house is getting clean. The toilets, the bathrooms are all clean. And it's, you know, I feel guilty often because I am now working full time. So the time that I have with the boys, I make the most of it. I don't check emails and I don't, you know, do anything to do with work. Like I just put that out of my head and that's been great for me. And and I just say to the boys, no, it's a mummy day, Saturday and Sunday, two days a mummy day, you know, and um, Declan often wakes up on the Sunday and says, oh, is it is it yam day? And I say, no, it's not yam day. He goes, oh, good. Yam's the preschool for those that don't know. Yep. So where where they go to childcare. Um, and then on, you know, when I say, but tomorrow is a mummy, is not a mummy day. It's yeah. a work day and a yam day and, and things. Um, and he's sort of, and I said, but what are we going to do today? And, you know, deciding what we're going to do and, and, and things and letting them have that say of what do you want to do with me? And, you know, sometimes it is just hang around at home playing and sometimes it's you know we go to the park or we might go you know down the street to get something if I've said oh we'll have to get it next time we're down at Kmart and and they say oh we could go to Kmart and get you know which is often code for we're just going to hang out in the toy section for hours (laughs) and not go I can definitely give you a few tips in this space having three girls that have just gone through this so um there are a lot of ways that you can like (laughs) keep them entertained And Joe, is there anything that you wish you knew as a mum of two boys or as a single mum? Is there anything that you kind of wish you knew earlier? I think it's that idea of organising things that you can have a break 
and and be a break where you're not at work and you're not looking after your children just to have a me time break. And I know that there's all that talk about, you know, mindfulness and all that, and that's great. But that filling your cup before you can help others is is what you need to think about as a, you know, as a single mum, a single mum of one, two sort of thing, or mum of twins, that you do get that time just for you. That is not, you're not a mum, you're not a worker, you're not anything mm. else, but you can just, you know, lie on your bed, you know, sit on the grass, do whatever you want, but that, you know, set time just to fill your cup. Mm. And I want to tell you, Joe, it does get easier. I didn't have twins, but I did have three in three and a half years. So it felt like twins every now and then. And it does, it gets so much easier when they can put themselves in the car, swim by themselves. There are milestones as a parent, right? Swim by themselves, no nappies, when they can cook, when they can make you a cup of coffee in bed. Oh my God. That's a moment. (laughs) So, um, but also when they can tell you, you know, you were saying the boys can tell you now, like there's these really big milestones that just kind of take that that bit of pressure off, I'm sure it swings in roundabouts, you know, coming back into teenage years, it's going to be a whole new level. But I just personally found once my youngest kind of turned three to four and my oldest wasn't quite a teenager, there was this real sweet spot of like, I can communicate with you, but you can still do things without me. I can have a shower without needing to sit three of you on the floor. You know, I can go to Coles without trying to wrangle three of you at once. Yeah. So it does get easier. There is light. Yes. There is light. There is light. And yeah. Yeah. And it's even getting easier now. Yeah. You know, I don't have to try and carry two all the time, you know. Yeah. They can walk and they can carry their own kinder bag most of the time. Yeah. 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 Teach them to cook and make coffee. <laughs> oh, we, we already. <laughs> That's the bee's knees, I reckon, when the kids mm-hmm. are cooking dinner for you. It's yep. like, oh, yep. this is so good. All right, Joe, we have to wrap up. Thank you so much for coming on again. I guess I haven't asked you if there's someone or something that truly makes you belly laugh different to the last episode. Well, you actually um, got me thinking about it before and when I was in the hospital, when I had the boys. So I had mum with me and it was one of the days that it was very early on, um, one of the first couple of days. And I was trying to express colostrum, which is the first sort of milk substance that comes out once you've had the the babies and they'd given me a whole pack of syringes to do it and you sort of you know use a syringe and you get some and there's all air bubbles in it and so I was sitting there and I was trying to push the syringe up so the air would come out so I could get some more and I sort of squirted it and then it slid really easy and the the colostrum went whoop straight up onto the roof and mum and I just lost it like because I was stressed about leaving the boys and things and we just had this full-on laugh. I think my mum actually was eating a muffin and then started choking on a bit of the muffin and I'm laughing to start with and then she's like (laughs) and I've yelled out oh my god I need help and you know so nurses had come running and you know we're trying to I'm trying to I jumped off the bed even though I shouldn't have it with a Caesar and you know, we explained what had happened and then we all started laughing and they're like looking up at the roof and you could see this colostrum on the roof, which is, you know, they call it liquid gold in the hospital and I've just squirted on the roof and, <laughs> I've just and things like that. So, yeah. So, yep. So, I ended up going to the NICU and going, well, there's a funny story about my colostrum today. So, sorry. But, yeah, no, it was You can was funny, get it off the roof though if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. But, yeah, but it was uh, funny. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on. Thanks for inviting me. It's been it's been good.
I don't know about you, but all I could think about was, man, I don't know that I've really been there for my friends that have twins or a single mom. And I know that wasn't Joe's intention at all, but it really made me think about, am I asking the next question? Am I asking them, what is really helpful for you right now? Or what do you need in this moment? I think I'm definitely someone that drops off a meal here or there and kind of thinks that that's enough. And And really, it's probably not because it's the relentlessness of like day in and day out and never getting a moment that can can kind of build up over time. Anyone out there that's a parent knows that being a parent is hard. It is by far the best and worst days of your life. Like I've had moments of complete and utter joy and as many moments of feeling anxiety, sitting with my back against a door, bawling my eyes out, you know, just complete and utter exhaustion. So Joe, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and for coming on and giving us two episodes. I just want to remind everyone that this is your last chance to book into the workshop on the 2nd of April. It's a DISC personality profiling workshop, one of my favorites. There will be a link in the show notes, or you can jump into our Facebook community, Challenges That Change Us, and scroll through and find the link. I guarantee you that you will walk away knowing more about yourself and what motivates others to do what they do. We spend the second half of the workshop looking at how you can adjust your own style to build relationships at home and in the workplace. The DISC personality profiling workshop is probably the most popular among corporates as well. So if you want to inquire about us coming in and working with your team, just DM or reach out under LinkedIn. My name will be Ali Flynn or shoot me an email. All right, guys, have an awesome week and I will see you next Monday. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.